not one more time, screamed the child between bursts of laughter, as the young father, with a reassuring smile, threatened with another tickle attack. He bends the fingers of both his hands, holding them in front of his face like claws, and the child laughs again. The mother, on a chair next to her son and husband, looks away. The gaze resigned, the face expressing a slight disgust for both of them. For her, the child's cry means nothing. Her resignation has its grounds in the hopeless knowledge that there will always be one more time. Always one more time, and if there isn't, there will be something else. And that is obviously the same. Her eyes catch a movement. Her iris reacts to the change of light, and her eyes return to their previous emptiness as two insects continue what she suspects is some primitive mating ritual. Oh, not one more time, she finds herself reflecting. Take it again, one more time, says the teenage girl slyly towards the end of a song. She is dressed in black, only black, no nuances, just black. This is a black that doesn't speak, but surrounds her warm, pale skin like a withdrawn voice. She is convinced like only a teenager can be. She is really just a girl. She doesn't practice being a woman in front of a mirror, but that's probably just because to do so would go against her style. Once on a bus, a woman the girl wasn't familiar with asked her why she was dressed in black. The woman was too sweet to ignore, too friendly to be dismissed. After all, there weren't many grown-up women that addressed her. After a somewhat awkward silence, the girl, who wanted to be taken seriously and simultaneously tough and sincere, heard herself say, I don't know. She felt a little bit ashamed. Maybe that's why she doesn't practice being a woman. The girl really didn't know why she dressed in black, and maybe it didn't matter. Or perhaps the most genuine reason to dress in black and monochrome was to have no reason. She thought about it. She didn't wear black because she liked music associated with the lack of light. When she was 12 or so, an older boy lent her his copy of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, but she didn't get it. Then he lent her another book, whose name she forgot, but was full of phony rituals involving cemeteries, a dog's hair, and bat blood. She didn't like bats, and where would she find dog's hair? Disgusting. She wasn't into these pagan things. It didn't seem right. Why should women give up rights that they had fought hard for and submit to a society where same-sex marriage was unthinkable, fucked up? She was a little lost, but kind of happy. 
But then she thought of something that was a bigger black. The uninterrupted obscurity out there that is larger than fallen angels and vampires and monsters with bulging syphilitic brains with pink leeches dangling at the roots. doesn't mean it, 
but demands exactly that, one more time, again and again. Does the child not know, really not know, that the termination of repetition opens a door towards something eternally more threatening than the attack by the father's soft hands? Does not the teenager that obsessively returns to the same moment contradict a possible desire to end living and suffering? The teenager who really embraces pessimism and the earth's tragedy is one that calls for the annihilation of repetition. Time is simultaneously that which protects us from the dark night of eternity and what renders eternity impossible. Time stretches like a tight skin between the world of infinity, forcing us into the endurable pain of life. Yes, this is the damnation that humans and other creatures of the earth have to tolerate. Suffering is endurable just because it involves itself with time only a suffering that can expand in time is tolerable, yet so much crueler because the individual knows with high probability that the agony will continue into the following second. It is not eternity that is cruel, it is time. One more time, but why? Time has taken on a most dubious and moral task. I look at my watch. It is Wednesday, about 2.30 at night. What is suddenly experienced imprisons the individual in anguish, and yet at the same time delivers her from it. Here is a perfect contradiction, divine ecstasy and its opposite, extreme horror. Time is an extension, a repulsive emission, or its rotting absence, which is a result of time, and therefore nothing more or less. The curse of time, and with it, the horror of teleology. It is not consciousness, as pessimists tend to argue, that is the mother of human suffering. It is time. Time cannot die. It is always in the light, making its absorption into the outside impossible. The young girl's face is several shades whiter Tiny pearls of sweat force their way through the makeup-clogged pores on her forehead. What a cliché, she thinks, accompanied by a faint sense of nausea. Fear does not overwhelm us in time. Fear, in fact, is the absorption of time into an unconditional outside. The outside is never gentle, but always an oscillation between divine bliss 
and absolute terror. That is the horror of time itself. One more time is our insurance against eternity because it is not that which must be feared the most. What is to be feared the most is the possibility that time dissolves and gradually becomes more and more volatile until it fades away like a tiny cloud of smoke. The end of time is not when time stops. It is when it coincides with its own non-being. Isn't it exactly the annihilation of time that we humans seek more than anything? Seeking not the moment when, but instead the instant when there is no moment. Time does not point beyond itself, but time also does not die, as it has become a self-annihilating nothing that eternally survives itself. It is a limitless limit, lacking content, double in its character. It wanders in the nothingness of the world, in a desert of its own moments and eons that continually point it beyond its own image, which it evokes, and immediately abolishes in the impossible attempt to found its uncertainty. Its twilight can last more than the totality of its day, because its death is precisely its inability to die, its inability to measure itself to any essential origin. Yet, time is not, time does not have being, but is and must necessarily be a construction. Time is without content, and therefore, it is a pure force of negation that everywhere, and at all times, affirms itself as absolute freedom, a freedom that mirrors itself in pure self-consciousness. Time is forced upon us by ourselves, as absolutely foreign to ourselves. And time's doing is to trap us in a ticking suffering, more diabolic than any of the creatures of hell will ever have to experience. And, if they do, there is redemption in the fact that the suffering will only happen once. Eternity is the absolute absence of time, which equals the absorption of all time into every moment simultaneously and forever. No, not one more time. As much as time protects us from eternity, it also excludes us from any form of prominent presence. 
time annihilates the now and replaces the horizon of presence with the violence of perspective. Time doesn't see, it looks. It holds on and knows nothing about letting go. Time is the origin of mimicry. Time cannot contain anything that is not quantifiable and hence time becomes the very generator of teleology. Time is negation of experience. No, not one more time. The cancellation of time, the refusal of repetition, a total indifference to time that will cost you your life and carries in its core limitless fear is the only place where experience can erupt. This is an experience that is not an experience of something, perspective, but unfolds as its own horizon, the experience of experience itself. The experience of experience is not the moment of death, but instead the instant of unlife. It is experience without life, and hence the experience of experience coincides with the experience of existence.